Welcome to Leaders in Travel Beyond the Business Card. I'm Scott Cleaver, and in the coming weeks and months, we'll hear from leaders across the travel corporation who we think have a great story to tell. We'll dive deep into their formative years, what drew them to travel, what makes them tick, and how they get their inspiration. Plus, because we send so many thousands of guests to all parts of the world each year on journeys of exploration and joy, we will ask our leaders about their travel lives, where they've been, what they've seen, and where to next. Today's guest is part of a travel dynasty we know today as the Travel Corporation. That said, although a Tolman through and through, her arrival into the family business came later in life. We will find out why in the next few minutes. But who is the real Victoria Tolman? Hi, Scott. It's wonderful to be able to share a little bit more with you um, about myself and my background. So, um, that's a very big question, and I would say it would probably depend on who you ask, because I do have several roles. So I think the real Vicky Tolman is, first of all, a mother. Um, that's probably my most important role, but um, also my role in the hotel business and TTC. That's very much part of my identity today. And, um, and then being part of my amazing family. Um, so that's definitely another role and who I am. And then as a human being, which is something also very, very important to me, is, um, is who I am to, to everybody in the sense I try and always be kind and fair and, um, and kill with kindness most of the time <laughs> without much killing. But I would say that's really who a little bit into who I am. Well, it's so neat to see you and to to have some time with you today, and, and I'm really looking forward to finding a little bit more about about you and in, in your life. And uh, respectfully, you know, you, you come from a, a family that, particularly for anybody in the travel corporation, we instantly identify with that family. But it'll be neat to to share some of your stories, and um, I'm I'm looking forward to that. But you come to our chat today from Geneva. I, I guess a a cool and chilly Geneva at this time of year? It is, but it's absolutely beautiful. It's freezing cold, but with blue skies and uh, the air is crisp. And I must say, it's it's wonderful to, to have spent a little bit of time here now. Now, Vicky, you, know, you and I have, have known each other for a period of time now, and I certainly know that life has been interesting and varied for you. And I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing or for you to share some of those stories. But now, where did it all begin? It, it certainly wasn't in Geneva. It was in, in faraway lands, and you certainly uh, got some of life's air miles over that time. But uh, where were you born? What was the what was that that life like? How did how did life begin for you? Well, very different to Geneva. Um, I was born in Johannesburg. Um, I'm the youngest in my family of four, and I grew up in Johannesburg with. Um, a wonderful, very happy childhood, um, and um, and then we moved to the UK, and so and my journey progressed after that. So tell me about those early days, Johannesburg. What was you know? And please don't give any secrets away of dates or anything like that. I, I don't want you to hang up on this call. But what was life like in South Africa at that time? Um, you know, we we appreciate South Africa, a wonderful country, certainly beautiful people, but. Uh, respectfully, a, a fairly turbulent time in its history when you were growing up there? Absolutely. 
and I have no problem with dates. <laughs> but um, so, yes, I was born um, in Johannesburg and I grew up under apartheid. But my parents never believed in that system. And um, and it was really a very privileged childhood. But at the same time, we knew that the system was very wrong. And within our own life, we tried to do everything that was right to correct what was wrong. So whether with staff, employees, um, people who were in our home or who worked in our home, visitors who came to South Africa, um, my parents always wanted people of different backgrounds to be allowed in the hotel, but the laws um, didn't allow it. So I grew up one side very privileged and lucky, and at the other side also with the understanding that I was living in a country that was not free and um, equal. And so I knew that was wrong from a very early age. But at the same time, growing up then, um, life was very, very um, much simpler in a way. There was no TV, no mobile phones. Um, my brother Brett and I, we grew up very much as twins. There's 18 months between us. And um, we shared a room. And we had a wonderful childhood as far as being outdoors all the time, inventing games. Um, and then we also were, were very privileged to see how my parents were building their life and their future and our future and just how hard they worked and creating a brand in South Africa at the time was the really the first boutique chain of hotels, which was not called boutique then. And, um, and then one day my dad said he just didn't want us growing up in a system like that. So we moved to the UK. So your your schooling began in South Africa, and then you you moved on to to the UK and to London, and even you know exciting times to be in a city like London at, at any time in your life. But but tell us about those days, and tell us about uh, getting to. I mean, you you obviously a proud South African. You know, everybody in your family was state. So, but you know, what was what were the differences in your life? Was it an instant change moving from South Africa to to the UK? I would say it was traumatic. Um, I was 13 years old. We left um, in 1976 during, uh, it was just when there were the Soweto riots at the time. And we left ab absolutely everything we ever knew. Um, my parents had to, you couldn't take anything out of South Africa at the time. So we really started from scratch. We arrived in London. And I think the first thing that shocked me was the weather. And um, and then, you know, we were so lucky growing up outdoors in open spaces, barefoot, um, and suddenly you were in a city. It was such a different experience. We didn't have a home at the time, but we had a hotel. And so we moved into the hotel. So I lived in a hotel for several months, which I loved at the time, but um, it was it was challenging. And then I also had the challenge of getting into the English system, the English education system after coming out of South Africa. And um, I just remember it was it was a big shock to me because I'd been so happy-go-lucky up until then. We arrived in London. We had very little money. Um, the weather was dark and grim. I used to take a bus for about an hour. I had to go to a tutorial college to catch up on the years that I didn't um, have the English education. So it was a stark wake-up call. But as we know, everything that's challenging does serve us with time. And um, I eventually got into a great school in the UK and I loved it. I was so happy to have friends because I had no friends. I had nothing familiar. Brett was a boarding school, as was my older brother. My sister was living in France. 
So it was um, really a huge contrast. But um, looking back on it now, you realize all these experiences do give you strength and they give you the ability to appreciate things in a much different way than if everything just goes smoothly all your life. So once I got into school, I was so happy and I did my O-levels in London and um, really appreciated the life afterwards, the culture, the choice, different freedom, equality, um, being able to see people being who they are and um, nobody restricting that. So it had a lot of challenges, but a lot of good things too. I love what you just said, that those things that challenge us serve us well over time. And that's 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 a pretty neat approach. Is that something that's, that's served you well through your life? Definitely. I've certainly been challenged many times in my life. And I always say, God gives you what you can handle. And as long as fundamentally the most important things is the health of your loved ones, and anything else you can face and you can overcome and you can grow from it and really I think become a, a wiser and a humbler person from every challenge you go through it also teaches you to be less judgmental of others so I would definitely say if I had to speak to younger people you learn a lot more through failure and challenges than you do through success so let's go back to those school days Good student, Vicky. I mean, you've got parents who could show you the way in terms of a lot of disciplines and hard work and endeavor and and that that's combined, of course, with talent. But what about you? Was there an emphasis from your parents on education? Did you respond to that if there was? Did you enjoy school? Were you did you achieve at school? Well, growing up in South Africa, I loved school because you spent half the day in the classroom and half the day doing sports and that was each and every day and I was so much better out the classroom <laughs> I mean I was a good student but nothing I was not particularly academic or I loved certain courses but my passion was sport and um, and in South Africa they really develop if you love sport they really maybe it's similar where you are but when you're lucky to live with a good climate and so sports was really the greatest pleasure and satisfaction. I was in all the teams. I loved competing. I learned a lot through competition. And then when I arrived in London, obviously all that went away and you had like two hours of sports a week and it was playing tag, you know, throwing a ball. So that was quite a wake up call, but um, it was only for a certain period of time. And when I got to London, the education was so different because they taught very much from um, learning by heart and not teaching you to understand what you're learning. So it was a very disciplined school. The teachers were very tough, but I was so happy to be making friends and having had a really hard first year that I didn't take too much notice of that. Managed to scrape through my O-levels. I think I got seven or eight, but, and then, um, and then I didn't want to do my A-levels. I actually wanted to go and study history of art in Florence, but I was 16 or 17. And my father said, forget about that. And so he said, you should really try the American education. And then I went to boarding school in America for two years. But to go back about my parents' influence, today, as a parent, we are so involved in every single step of the way of your children and it's a very different relationship to the one I grew up with. We kind of grew up with a little bit of the seen and not heard. 
my parents always worked so hard. When we moved to London, their focus was building a new life, making a new career. So there was no real time invested in how are you doing today? How is school? Are you okay? Like a lot of the way I am with my kids, you know, everything you try and make their life easier and you just kind of got on with it. And I'm grateful for that too, because just also taught you to be a little bit tougher and more independent. You mentioned going to, obviously to, to America and you went to a boarding school in New Jersey, which I, I know you enjoyed that time of your life. And then from there, it was university, but to, down in DC. Now, why, why that university? Why, what, why did you see the benefit of doing that at that particular time in your life? Well, I actually took a gap year in between and I came back to London for a year and um, I did various courses and then I really wanted to pursue. And that's where my father also very much guided me. And, and anyone who knows my father, you know, when your father guides you or he did, it was not a suggestion. It was more of you have to do this. So he wanted me to study business and um, I loved, I was much more interested in marketing so we chose a university that was not so far at the time. My parents were standing, spending more time in the States. And um, and they, I didn't want to be in New York. And Washington was a very good place to be because it's a wonderful student town. And at the same time, it's a very important city. So my father knew someone who had a daughter at American University. And they were going there. And that's actually the reason why I ended up going there because he knew someone who was there and they could explain it to me etc. So you were at university for a period of time you then met somebody who was ended up being a big part of your life for some time and life changed immeasurably for you at that time tell us about that. It certainly did so I was 19 when I started university and um, very naive I think when I look back at it now and at the time I met um, who was to become my husband and then my ex-husband but um, I met um, a young man who was at the university and I met him in the library but I think that was the last time he was ever in the library <laughs> and uh, anyway and it took a quite a long time before I, I started dating him but we started dating and when I was in my sophomore year he proposed to me because he graduated and he was moving back to Morocco. And um, I didn't even really know at the time where Morocco was or the implications on the culture, the background, etc. We were from the same religion and he was from, uh, he seemed like to, you know, be well educated as far as manners and values and things like that. So I was madly in love and um, accepted at 21 to get married. And within a few months, um, I moved to Morocco and um, had my wedding there, which was a four-day event. And um, my life drastically changed in, in every way. Everything I really knew and was familiar with was removed. And a very different culture, very different mentality. But it was also an amazing 11 years because you also learn to make the most of situations and um, he had a factory, he was in the cardboard and paper business. And um, I moved from New York to first to Casablanca. And within a week, we moved to the area where his factory was, which was this tiny town called Kenitra. And there was a Sofitel hotel there. 
and I had to live in the hotel for three months and he would go to the factory in the day and I had didn't speak French, didn't know anybody, but my parents bought me a, a dog when I as my wedding present and he saved my life and he was the best company. And I started buying baskets on from people on the side of the road and I would paint the baskets to keep busy. And But once again, by the time I got to Casablanca, it was like New York. So <laughs> probably helped me adapt to Casablanca. I spent 11 years there. I had three daughters and I have to say it was extremely challenging because at the, in those days there was really very little in Casablanca as far as imported goods. Um, the supermarket was an open market that was like from biblical times, you would have the lamb hanging next to the vegetable stand. And so there were many adjustments to be made. But um, once again, um, I learned so much to appreciate the smallest things. I mean, you're going to laugh, but even a choice of toilet paper. When I would go to London and go to the supermarket, I'd be like, oh, my God, there's like four types of Kleenex. But um, I have to say I understood the culture after a certain period of time. I learned French. I learned a little bit of Arabic. And I really learned to love the people of Morocco. They're so warm. They're so hospitable. They're so kind. And um, and I think that was probably my greatest pleasure in the years there. As far as being a woman in Morocco at the time was extremely difficult. People didn't even call you by your name. My name was Madame Steve, which is the name of my ex-husband. So I couldn't drive. Um, I All my independence was taken away. Um, so there were many challenges. But as I, I left after 11 years, and my heart is still full of love for Morocco and the people. Today's guest is Vicky Tolman. Not be far too lazy of me just to speak of uh, the, the surname that Vicky carries. But by, by day now, the um, executive vice president with the Red Carnation Hotel Group, um, uh, certainly somebody that has um, influence and a contribution to make to that part of the travel corporation. So, Vicky, I'd, I'd love to to talk about your career path now, if we can. And uh, as I mentioned in the introduction, by your own admission, you came to the travel corporation and the active role that you have today a little later in life. Tell us how that came about. A lot later. So when I was married, I was um, a full-time homemaker and mother, and I, I really loved that role. And um, after 11 years, I left Morocco and I moved to Paris, where I lived for five years and um, was raising my girls as well. And then um, in 2000, I moved to Geneva. And um, having stayed in different hotels, I said to my father, I really think this is a city where it really, we could make a difference with a Red Carnation Hotel. And he said to me, well, if you find a property, it has to be on the lake and, um, and we'll look at it. And the fact that now you're mentioning that, I think it's time you join the business. My oldest daughter was 12 at the time, my youngest was five. And we had just bought a vineyard in South Africa, Bushach and Lisson. And he said to me, in the meantime of looking for the hotel, I want you to start working in the vineyard. It's a small company. It will give you a wonderful background and very good foundation in understanding what business is about. So I want you to become responsible for that. So I hardly drank wine at the time. And I did a crash course um, in France um, and uh, at the L'Université du Vin, just to understand the fundamentals. 
of winemaking and the world of wine. And I started a beautiful journey with Bushach Vinesen. It's been now over 21 years and um, I drink wine and I've learned a little more about the business and I'm very proud to be the one who works with the team there. Anyway, so that was on one side and then by luck and good fortune, I found the Hotel Angleterre. And um, in fact, um, I actually did the deal and I'd never done a deal in my life. I hadn't, I didn't know what I was doing, but my dad said, just carry on. And I remember being in the, it was actually owned by Accor Colony and Blackstone. And um, a wonderful gentleman, Sebastian Bazin, who's now head of Accor, was the person that I was dealing with at the time. So very savvy, amazing businessman. And we sat and we discussed the price and they didn't give a currency. And I went back to my dad and he said, I said, they want this much. And he said, well, what currency? And I was like, oh, I forgot. I didn't tell him I forgot to ask. He would have killed me. So I said, dollars. I just, anyway, another very good lesson. <laughs> but anyway, it ended up being Swiss francs and it ended up being an excellent deal. And I admitted to my dad afterwards, he said, you told me dollars and it's Swiss francs. I said, I know dad, I'm sorry. And he said, well, it's one of the best deals I've done in my life, but it could have gone the other way. And don't ever be afraid to ask a question. If there's something you don't know, ask, because this could have gone very much wrong and the other way. So that was a very good lesson. And I've asked a lot of questions since. And that's where really my journey with the hotel business began. Um, I work with the most wonderful team in Geneva. It's a jewel of a hotel. It epitomizes everything that Red Carnation stands for. And it was really a wonderful formation for me to understand the ins and the outs until I moved to London six years ago, where I have now become much more involved in, in the whole group. Vicky, I want to challenge you, if I, if I may, around leadership, not, not challenge you in the sense of, of trying to disprove something. But and when I when I speak to you, and I, and I don't want to flatter to deceive here, you always have this this lovely way about you and this warmth and you speak so fondly of, of everybody. What happens? I mean, and we've spoken about Mr. Tolman who, yeah, let's not make him a, a measure against you. But I think anybody that, that worked with Mr. Tolman knew that he was all of those things too, but you certainly knew and many others will, will know this better than I, but you certainly knew if you weren't on the right track. So, and, and that might be a look, it might be something stronger than that. But how do you, uh, in your position, which influences some some significant parts of this business, be it the winery or be it into Red Carnation, how do you make those tougher decisions when your natural, uh, I guess, personality is to be one of, of, of warmth and nurture? It is hard. It is hard because it's not natural for me to be anything but... I try and be kind and I want people to be their very best self. But there's times or, or when things are wrong or jeopardizing the business or jeopardizing people in the business, if a colleague has not behaved correctly, um, you have to make that either call or have that discussion because it comes down to your integrity and your responsibility to the other people in that business. And if somebody is not doing something right or adhering to the values of the company, then 
you are in a position that you you have to make that right. But I really believe in giving people second chances. I believe in doing everything to nurture and bring the best out of them until they prove you it's just not going to happen. And so I always try and kill with kindness. And that's my mother taught me. So even if you do have to be tough, there's a way of doing it. And I always try and bring in compassion and empathy, unless it's something really bad. And then there's that fire inside that comes up. But I really try not to. I really try and do it as I described. When we have these podcasts and these conversations, I steal from another podcast unashamedly something that I heard. And it was failure is a, a bruise, not a tattoo. In other words, we can have these moments that will hurt us, that we can notice, we can feel and see, but that they don't have to necessarily last forever. You, you could have had a uh, one of those moments and getting your currencies not quite right uh, in purchasing wholesale along the tier. But have you, can you think of times in your professional life where you have made mistakes if that's the right word if you wish you could do it again uh, do you have those moments and and what do you take from those i mean you've illustrated one of course you know never be well something that came from your father about never being scared or worried about asking a question uh, are there other moments in your life that are significant in that regard oh absolutely i mean first of all i joined the business when i was i think i just turned 40. i'd never worked before I had no real mentor or an example other than my parents, but you know, it was in a different capacity than having someone as your boss or your leader that you can aspire to. And um, it's really been, a, I would say a wonderful journey, but boy, there were many times when I either felt inadequate, not able to live up to maybe the expectations, maybe not saying the right thing. So, I do think all of those things, every single person goes through those things and has doubts. And at the same time, you learn lessons from examples along the way. For example, I've learned so much about leadership from Jonathan Raggett. And I would say that um, working closely with him, which I've been doing for the last six years, he has mentored me without it being my mentor, if you know what I mean. So I think my best advice or is to learn from those better around you, no matter who you are, no matter what your role is, because we never stop learning. And I think the moments of either inadequacy or, or self-doubt are really good because they push all the right buttons for you to keep doing better. So absolutely, two more, many more than I would like to <laughs> admit. You know, you mentioned the word mentor there, whether formally or, or not. And I know that you have, if not mentors, certainly influences in your life. And one person, certainly in your your personal and your red carnation life, who certainly is an impressive leader and and hugely capable, but sometimes perhaps you know, understated because, like you, she has that that warmth and and calmness is Mrs. Tolman, of course, and you know, somebody who. I've I've always been amazed looking from the outside when you have somebody like that who never seems to be flustered or whatever, but yet commands a, a standard that is so high. You know, that that's but never seems to need to shout to prove a point or so tell me about what you learned from Mrs. Tolman. 
so much, Scott. Um, my mother is my greatest inspiration. She's the most gracious lady I've ever met, and she's a lady in every sense of the word. Um, she was an incredible mother. No matter how busy they were, she was always there, and she really was my role model to be a mother because she was always there for us, no matter what. She wasn't maybe there all the time, but you, she was there when it mattered. And then the example she set for us from a very young age, I saw I would go um, after school and just to be share time with her and saw the way she treated people and the way she spoke to people and always with a kind word. But my mom also don't underestimate her because if you do something that is not according to her standards or her expectations, she can be incredibly tough. And um, she had the same gift my father had. They can deliver a tough message, but with a velvet glove and sometimes a wooden stick, but very, very rare. <laughs> and my mom continues to be my, my greatest inspiration. How her passion and heart is, everything is in the hotel business. Um, I think my father was her, is her first love. Um, I would say the, the hotels were almost second to that. I mean, of course, the children but I think we come a bit after the dogs, but um, definitely the business, how she loves the teams, how I've seen her be so kind to every single member over the years. So she's been my greatest inspiration and continues to be. Um, I have very big shoes to fill and I'm a very different person, but if I can learn from her kindness and grace and, um, and being able to set the same standards and also maintain her legacy, then I'll be very happy with that. Let's move to philosophies on leadership. Again, you always speak so highly of not just Jonathan, but the leadership team, the executive team within the Red Carnation Hotel team. What, what do you look for? What resonates with you out of those leaders that you think contribute to the success of, of that particular business? I can truly say I feel so privileged and lucky to work with such exceptional people and not only the executive team, but every single general manager, every member of their team. I mean, Red Carnation truly is a family. I'm not saying that glibly at all. Everyone cares for each other. Each hotel is an, their own family. But I would say that the qualities that I really admire is how they manage their teams. And um, whether it's one of the executives, I mean, I have to mention Susie um, Thompson, who has to be one of the greatest leaders because she manages to put everybody on their best footing. She encourages them, she guides them, and she manages to bring out all the qualities to make them better in their role. Um, Liz McGiven, she said about people and cultures, there is nobody more compassionate, kind, fair and um, I call her the godmother of Red Carnation, Simon Royce, um, our financial director also and all these people I think what touches me the most is the dedication and commitment to Red Carnation and when you see how they are it gives you such a big engine to to be even more in your role. So I think um, every general manager, they are so loved by their team. So leadership, it's such a responsibility and you have to deal with so many of, of the challenges of either running your team or 
looking after your customer, but they all do it with such grace and um, strength. And at the same time, red carnation really seems to be what's running in their veins. And I think that's what probably touches me and motivates me most to be the very best I can for them and for the company. Yeah, the Red Carnation team, and you've spoken obviously of them, one of the things that is, is easy to observe is their commitment to diversity within the Red Carnation group and obviously to contribute to that of the Greater Travel Corporation. But and when I've spoken to you previously about, you know, is diversity a good thing and why is it a good thing? And your comment to me was, it's more than a good thing. It's it's the right thing. And I, I understand that. But tell, tell me about why you come to that view. Why is it important for not just to have people from different walks of life, but for them to feel comfortable sharing that or being proud of that because that has not just a, a better result for our customers and not being cynical, it has a better commercial outcome, right? Because more contributions, more views. Is that your your sense? Well, I think with even the business apart or their role within the business part, the most important thing a person can be is true to themselves. And when you're true to yourself, um, you're happier and you can then be better in every role you take on. In the past years, society has had many taboos and stigmas, and I'm so happy to know so many of those no longer exist. Maybe some people are, but today our society is so much more transparent and open about people who have different choices. And I just think it's so important to be allowed and to live your life in who you truly are, because how awful to always feel that you're carrying this cross that you are not going to be accepted or you're going to be judged or so I'm just so proud that red carnation has no stigmas has no judgment we want every single person in the company to fly as their real self to be proud of who they are to be proud of their life choices to be proud of their origin their culture their beliefs that's got to be the most important thing in our world so if we can create that in our world in red carnation Maybe it will then spread, share, but at least we're doing what is right by our teams. Today, I'm joined by Vicky Tolman, the Executive Vice President at Red Carnation Hotel. And I'm very, very um, grateful to Vicky for her time, particularly she's flying to, to London um, in the early hours of, of tomorrow morning as we record this podcast. But Vicky, let's move on to travel and and how that's influenced your life we've already spoken on the on the podcast about the different parts of the world that you've been fortunate enough to to live in but uh, rather than uh, a life and travel let's look at your your travel life with the time that we have together and is there a defining moment in travel for you um several um i think when i travel i like everybody, you have certain expectations and then you choose that trip for certain reasons. So I think one thing I'm always looking for is either to enrich or try and develop in some way personally or be challenged physically. So I think the trips that have defined me most have been probably the ones that have ticked those boxes. And I would say the two trips that really were defining moments in my life that really I felt really that's what I, my best self was the Me Too We trips, 
where we went to two amazing destinations. One was Kenya and one was India. And it was doing something of worth. And it was putting yourself in the shoes of the people that you were exposed to. So we went there to help build schools. And I would say they were two of the greatest trips of my life because you learn so much, you enrich so much. You, It was not at all um, luxurious, but it didn't matter because there was just so much more important things to, to be exposed to, to enjoy. And it sort of touched a part of my heart that I realized this is something I really want to do more of. So something I hope to do in the future. Um, Costa Rica is also was one of the trips that um, I went many years ago, and I'm so happy to see how Costa Rica today has become one of the most popular destinations. But I've always loved yoga, and yoga has been a very important part of my life. I always call it my compass. I always say when I get off road, get back on the mat because it immediately puts you in that right space. So I went to Costa Rica to, to a yoga retreat and um, I took one of my daughters with me. Actually, I took all my daughters with me the first time, but when I went for the second time, I took Morgan, my second daughter, who wanted to learn more about surfing. So it was one of these kind of dream trips where I did yoga, she surfed, and the roads were all dirt roads and you went everywhere in a quad or like this big truck. And I loved the freedom and I loved the nature and, and I think what defines your travel experiences is what has touched you most about those trips that helps to get to know who you are better. And it's through travel that I've had, has helped me get to know myself more and the experiences that I've had because it's when something just feels right and you feel this wonderful sensation of peace and fulfillment and freedom and um, so I would say those were definitely some of the experiences that have brought a lot to my life. Do, do you remember your first travel experience? Well, out of South Africa, yes, I was eight years old and we went overseas for the first time. And in those years, going overseas was a big thing. It was very far away. I'm sure it was similar for you. So it was like a big thing. It was something you planned six months ahead of time. And we went to London and it was around Christmas time. And obviously in South Africa, Christmas time is in the height of the summer. So going to London, there were all the Christmas lights. There was um, all the big streets. I remember Hamley's toy store. I, I thought I died and gone to heaven because I'd never seen so many toys. Um, I must say we grew up very unspoiled. Um, I was called hand-me-down Harry when I was little because I'd always get the... And I didn't care because nothing mattered then. You were not. So going to London for the first time and actually going into shops and, and getting things. And my parents were, you know, extremely kind. And they, you know, bought me, I don't know what it was, a few toys or whatever. But I remember climbing on, climbing on these high beds and never had room service before. And um, it was absolutely magical. And I can still almost smell like those first smells of, I don't know what, Paris was and because uh, we went to Paris too so everything was a fairy tale on my first trip I just have the most wonderful memories. When I look at the collection of, of hotels that you have certainly uh, an influence and a part to play in do you can you see the guests having that same experience because when you look at where those hotels are and uh 
by the way, I hope you'll forgive me. I know Jonathan won't for calling it the Red uh, Carnation Hotel Group rather than Collection. So I, I apologise in advance because <laughs> I, I know that will come back to me. But it, I, I've had the great fortune to go to a number of the properties and to be, whether it be at Camps Bay or in Geneva, they, I mean, the list goes on, right? Of course, Ashford Castle. <laughs> Our guests must get that same sensation of that that magic and that must be a, a thrill and motivation for you i think it's you've touched on something so important scott because i'm sure you and 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 so many people have gone on a holiday you've put so much into it you arrive in the hotel they take you to your room and your heart sinks it didn't look like this on the internet i thought the room would be bigger um i whatever it was and it it just is a holiday killer. And I've certainly had similar experiences. So we really don't want that to happen in Red Carnation. From the minute you arrive, from the doorman to the check-in, to being taken to your room, we want guests to go, oh, this is just what I was hoping for. And I think it's our responsibility to make that happen. They have chosen to stay with us because of what they are expecting and when you lose that and you do that I believe it's like it's failure it's a failure and um, you lose the person's trust and it's so unfair because so much has gone into their expectation and if we at least can meet that then we've done what is right and part of whatever the rest of the trip success will be. Well, we're very much looking forward to when you get down to New Zealand, which I know is a place that you're interested in coming to. And we we open our first Red Carnation property down in New Zealand. And folks, that's not an early release. That's just a wish list from me. First of all, I am dying to come to New Zealand. It's on my bucket list. I really regret the years that I didn't accompany my family because they used to come, I think, twice a year. And um, just waiting for the right opportunity. So watch out. <laughs> Well, you'd be very welcome. Vicky, our time's almost come to an end, but there's a question I, I love to ask all of our guests, and that's if you were to have a conversation with the 20-year-old Vicky Tolman, what would you say to her? I think it's a wonderful question for anybody to think about, but if I had to say that to myself, um, I would certainly take another very good piece of my advice my father gave me, which he always said, apply the three L's, look, listen, and learn. And that's when I started out, he told me that, um, and don't be afraid to ask questions. So I think to any young person, keep those three L's in mind. Um, I think something else that is really important when, I mean, or I would have said to myself is, um, the pleasure of giving back, which is something that you learn more and more. Um, selfless acts of kindness, random acts of kindness. And I think giving back, whether it's being involved, it's it's one of the most rewarding and satisfying things. So I would say get involved from a young from a young age. The other thing I would say is find balance in your life because I think that's one of the greatest challenges we are all facing today. Um, in the good old days, Friday meant Friday, five o'clock. Everybody took the weekend off and you started again on Monday morning. Now you can be getting emails on a Saturday night at four in the morning. And because most of us are built this way, there's a compulsion. You have to answer. You have to get back. 
and I think um, young people also from social media to, to, I don't know, so many distractions out there, be sure to find the right balance through exercise, um, spirituality, if that's something that interests you, and then self-care. And there's nothing wrong with self-care because if we don't take care of ourselves, we're no good to anybody else. So I would say, don't be afraid to take care of yourself. And um, and I would say those are already three important things. Well, lovely advice and a wonderful way to finish. Vicky, I can't thank you enough for your time. Thoroughly enjoyed um, having a chat. Uh, safe travels tomorrow. And thanks for being part of our uh, Leaders in Travel going beyond the business card. Well, I'm so proud and so honoured. Um, and I really thank you for giving me this opportunity. And uh, and thank you, Scott. And um, I hope I get to see you very soon in New Zealand. Uh, me too, Vicky. Folks, if you've enjoyed the podcast, which I'm sure you have, and there's a leader that you'd like to hear from, flick me an email, scott.cleaver at ttc.com, because we'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much. Thank you.